feel like we can almost just go go home now. And, but no, we're gonna we're gonna hear the word preached. So uh, we're gonna be in in John chapter twenty eventually this morning. Kids can go to Sunday school now if they would like to. Um, and again, they're also welcome to stay in here with us if if you prefer. You know, today is as we all know the day that the church worldwide celebrates what is the most important event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you have any doubt about that, just recognize for a minute that that event, that person, divided human history, even in the way we measure time. We have before Christ and we have Anno Domini, which means the year of the Lord. That's incredible. Who Who can do that? Jesus Christ changes everything, and this room is is proof of that. His resurrection is the ultimate game changer. The resurrection really is the culmination of of God's plan to go and repair what's broken. And and you know the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? (laughs) Well, it's really, really broke, right? I think we all know that. And, And Jesus, walking out of the empty tomb is the only fix. So the story of the Bible, if you're, if you're new to, to church or new to Christianity or, or new to the Bible, the story of the Bible is about God who created everything good and set up creation for eternal success. The pinnacle of his creation was man and woman. They were made in his image and likeness, and he, he gave them stewardship over all that he has made. But mankind turned away from God and chose self instead. The Bible calls this the fall of man. And this fall was devastating because the fall introduced sin and death into God's perfect creation. I mean, just imagine for a second what this world would be like without the effects of sin and death. It's something we can't even picture. Man is responsible for breaking everything, and the consequences of their choice has rippled all throughout history to this very day. But here's the mind-blowing part. Immediately after man, God, excuse me, immediately after man's rejection of God, God had already implemented a plan to repair what man had done and to bring life back. How is this possible? I mean, how can how can God fix all that has been broken because of our sin? How can God correct all that's wrong in the world today? He would have to reverse the curse in order to do this. And, and when we look at the world today, and see all the brokenness that exists, it just seems like this is an impossible task. We, we know that mankind has done their best to provide remedies, but it looks a lot like you know all the king's horses and all the king's men trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's just kind of a, it's a silly thing to try to, to do uh, because an impossible task like this requires an impossible solution. And Jesus is that solution. God the Son had to come down, become one of us, and then go to the cross to provide what was necessary. We, we could have never come up with that. There's no way. The old corruption, or excuse me, the old creation is corrupted. It's broken and it's beyond repair. The only way to solve this problem is for there to be a new creation. So in the same way, if you think about you know the creation of the world, we have Jesus creating, and he said, let there be light, and light came out of the darkness. That was the first creation. And now today we celebrate a dark tomb where Jesus lie dead. And then at some point he gets up 
and says, let there be light again as the, as the, the stone is rolled away and Jesus walks out. This new recreation that, that's, that's happened. The resurrection is the basis of this new creation that we, we long for and need. And I believe that desire that we have for, for this, for new life, for new beginnings, is hardwired into us by our Creator. It's something we, we know we need. We know it's something that every, everything out there needs this to happen. If you think about it, what is it, what is it like for you after a, a kind of a long, bleak winter to see the sun come out again? And, you know, the clouds kind of part and you feel the sun on your face and you look and you start to see life budding around you. Grass, trees coming back to life. What does that what does that do inside of us? It gives us hope. That's hardwired into the creator. What is it like when you see a, a newborn baby? I've had five. And I know it's no shock to you that I cried like a baby every time <laughs> because new life does something to us. A puppy, a kitten, we, even a goat. We used to have goats, you know, a newborn baby goat. I, I just like, this is amazing because it's hardwired into us. There's something about signs of new life or new beginnings that, that gives us hope. It's probably not a coincidence that the resurrection of Jesus occurred in springtime because all of creation is just screaming at us, pointing to him. Look, there's life. There's life. It's even why we love stories and movies and things like this that, that kind of describe this idea of um, someone rising up out of the ashes, making an impossible comeback, right? You hear the Rocky music and something starts to happen to you, right? You know, you just, it's like, yes, I need this. I was going to go with Eye of the Tiger, but it's Easter. And <laughs> didn't want to get that stuck in your head. All creation longs for a new beginning. The Bible even says that creation itself groans for this newness. And the good news is that God has provided this for us. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This verse says that a person has to be in Christ for this to be their reality. Well, how does one do that? Well, we do that when we believe and place our trust in Jesus for salvation. When that happens, God identifies his work with us so that we, we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is how Romans 6, 4 says it. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that we can too. All you need to do is turn away from the old and believe that God raised him from the dead, bowing before him, confessing that he is Lord. Well, we're going to go into our text this morning, which is going to tell us the story, the Easter story, um, John 20. It picks up three days after Jesus' death. On the cross, he was buried in a tomb. A very heavy stone was rolled over the entrance of that tomb, sealing it in, sealing him in. And, and you know, just think about the disciples, his followers. This whole time, they placed all their hope in Jesus. And when, when he was, you know, killed on the cross and buried, their hope was too. And that's where we sit right now in the story, is this feeling of what now? And we're told that one of his followers, Mary Magdalene, has come very early in the morning 
just to, to be there, still shaken by the loss of her Lord. So verse 1 says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, it talks about Mary again, though. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped into the tomb And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went And announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. I love that. Not recognizing him, thinking he's a gardener, you know. And then then just hearing him say her voice. And it all, all that hope came flooding back in. But, But before that, in John 20, what we see is, we see Mary staring into an empty tomb. And not realizing what it means. Jesus had repeatedly said, this is what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to write, you know, and they just, they're like me. I don't, I don't always hear things well. They didn't get it. So there she is staring at the tomb, wondering what happened. And I think this describes a lot of Christians today. We, 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 we come to Easter, we hear about this stuff and, and we just want, we, what does it mean? Well, it means Jesus is alive. It means that he is who he says he is. And it means that he's accomplished what he said he came to accomplish. For all of us who acknowledge who he is and that are willing to bow before him and confess that he is Lord, it means that our sins are forgiven and that we have been granted new life. And this new life is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And that's why I want to spend just a little time this morning talking about what the empty tomb means for us today, how it changes everything. And the first thing that this new life means for us is this. It means confidence. I am an insecure person by nature. 
I think most people are insecure, even though they put up a front that they're not. Even, you know, the Hollywood elite and all the people that we look up to and stuff, I think they're probably some of the most insecure people in the world. They just won't admit it, probably. But I am. I'm, I'm just, you can I go on record. I'm insecure. I can find reasons to worry about just about anything there is. And, and I, you know, if it's not something that seems like you should worry about it, I can create wild scenarios in my head to make it something you should worry about. And I wish I was joking, but I'm not. I have witnesses here that can attest to this, my family. I can just be doing something as simple as driving in my car and, and begin to imagine all the stuff that could go wrong. You hear a noise and you think, transmission's going out. You know, that's what's going to happen. Or at any moment now, the wheels could fly off this thing. And then what would happen? And then if I'm, like, if I'm towing a trailer or if I'm going to a destination I've never been to before, it all multiplies from there, you know, that more things that could go wrong. And it's not just limited to driving. Uh, even even at a place like this right now in church, it's it's crazy how insecure, and praise God for the Holy Spirit and the ability to, to do, you know, to get up in front of people and talk. But it's you can be up here talking while the sermon's going on. I'll see somebody stand up and leave the room, and my mind goes wild. This just literally happened a couple of weeks ago. They made fun of me before because I told them afterwards, like, they left. They left the church because they hate me. <laughs> They, they, they wish that David or Chad was here right now, and, and they're disappointed in what I said. I definitely said something or did something. They left. They, they walked away. They're not going to hear the gospel. Their eternity, I just spoiled everything. I mean, I, this is where I go. <laughs> you know, welcome to the door. I'm Pastor Brent. It's like, it's like, why are we here right now? It gets better. As I said, I am by nature an insecure person. And, and this last year has just given me so much good material to work with. You know what I mean? It's like there's just unlimited possibilities of things that I can grab onto and freak out about. Even that, you know, some of you may not know, but I just found out that I have a heart condition that is going to require open heart surgery. So there's that. Right? Thank you, Gary, for the, the, the good word today to remind me of, of this. But here's the thing. Even though that's what I'm prone to and that's what I tend towards, because of an empty tomb, I have confidence. You know, my wife and I just had to go into the doctor's office this week. It's kind of a weird appointment. I didn't, you know, we've already been through several of them, and it was a cardiologist, and, and basically she just wanted to know if I understood what was about to happen. I think that was the gist of the meeting. Like she said, can you put in your own words what you think is about to happen? And I think she expected me to say, because I don't listen very good, and I, you know, hear what I want to hear. Like, you guys are going to probably just give me a pill, and then I'm going to be fine. <laughs> And, and that's not, you know, you know, so she was kind of waiting to hear what I was going to say. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to open me completely, go in, repair the thing. And I'm going to be out for quite a while because of it. And there's a pretty risky surgery in general. And you could see her just kind of looking like, oh, he gets it. And he's not like, I don't know what she thought I was going to do. Just like, ah, you know, because that's what I would do normally. But I have confidence right now that my God is in control. And the reason that I have this confidence is because if Jesus can come back to life from the dead, what, what can he do? And what, what, what's he limited from doing in my life? A person with that kind of power can keep the wheels from coming off my car, literally and figuratively. Right? He, can, he can seek a person that got up and walked out and make sure that they hear the gospel. He, he can take care of anything, even if, even if something were to happen on the operating table and I don't come back from it, which I don't like to think about a whole lot, mostly because of my family, I know that 
He's got that. It means that I get to go be with him and he's going to take care of my family. And he's already shown me ways that he's going to do that just to give me comfort because he's so good. Jesus beat death. There is no bigger problem to solve than that. That's our biggest enemy. And if he can handle that, you know, he's got this other stuff for sure. I feel like Bill Murray in the movie Groundhog Day, kind of. <laughs> I don't know if you never saw that movie. Just He just repeats the same day over and over again. And, and at some point he realizes, oh, death doesn't matter. I, doesn't, I can't die. So he just starts doing silly things and driving off cliffs and stuff. I'm not, I'm not to that point yet. And I don't think I'm Bill Murray. But it's that feeling of like, is that all you got? Like death? Pfft. Jesus took care of that. It's like he took the stinger out. He broke its teeth. I, I, what can it do to me? You know, go, kind of gum at me a little bit. And then I get to go be with Jesus where I live forever. Because Jesus rose from the dead, I can be confident that he is victorious over whatever this world throws at me. Romans 8.31 says it this way. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I believe that. And so I have a confidence because of an empty tomb. The other thing that it means, or the next thing that it means, is liberation. Liberation. Freedom. Uh, my family makes fun of me uh, because I tend to panic when I feel trapped. And you're probably thinking, what a mean family, right? No. But we're not talking about like trapped like most people would feel like not, we're not talking like, you know, buried alive in a box or something like that. We're talking about my finger getting stuck in something. And that, I'm not kidding. That's literally happened. And they laughed at me. It was one of those things where I stuck it in and then I couldn't get it out. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, you know, this is never going to, you know, I start, I start doing that. I don't like the feeling of being stuck in a spot that I cannot get freed from. And my life before meeting Jesus felt exactly like that. I was stuck in a rut that I could not find a way out of. My life didn't have really any meaning or direction. The thought that there must be more to this life just kind of continually echoed through my mind. And I tried to find meaning. I tried to find purpose. I tried to find ways to quench that thirst that I had, you know, through relationships and through all that the world had to offer. I'll leave it at that. But I just remained stuck in this rut. I was aware of God, but I knew he was far off from me. And I knew that because of all the things that I did and was currently doing, that I was only creating more distance there. So I was stuck and I had no way of freeing myself. But God's word says that Jesus came to set the captives free. And that's exactly what happened. I was 19 years old when Jesus came and just kind of opened the door of my prison cell and said, hey, Come follow me. And I did. And I became, gosh, sorry. I became part of his new creation. I became different than I was before. I had been liberated to where now my life has purpose and meaning. Because it was always meant to be lived with God, not apart from him. That wasn't working. So now I can honestly say that I feel free. I've been liberated completely. I don't, I don't have to strive. I don't have to worthy up like we were talking about. Jesus did that for me. I don't have to, you know, I was Catholic, so I always had guilt. I thought that was part of a normal, you know, I don't, I don't have to have guilt anymore. 
Because God's word says this, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There are a lot of people worried right now about losing freedoms. I hear Christians talking about it all the time. This freedom might might get taken away. This freedom might get taken away. The freedom that Christ gives me can never be taken away. It's out of reach of anybody who wants to try to grab it. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my confidence. And Christ is my freedom. And no one can separate me from him. So I don't have to worry about that stuff. And I wish people would stop that now too. If you have Christ, you have everything you need. So I have complete freedom because of the empty tomb. The other thing it means is that I have a present hope. I don't know if you've noticed, but people are really stressed out these days. I mean, just really stressed out. I just saw a headline kind of cracks me up. I can't believe it's real, but I read the article. It was real. It wasn't the Babylon Bee. It was real. It said 40% of Americans don't recognize themselves in the mirror due to COVID stress. That's weird. 40% of Americans, there's been a time during this lockdown where they walked by a mirror, looked at it and went, I don't even, oh, that's me. Wow. Well, for what it's worth, I did also see another headline that said that the average weight gain during lockdown was 29 pounds. So that might have something to do with it. I don't know. If, I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation, but I did my part just so you know, to help with the average I'm trying to go the other way now, but the point is that I don't remember a time in my life when there has just been more anxiety and fear than there is now. If this last year has shown us anything, it's shown us where people's hope really lies. If right now you are filled with despair and fear, your hope is built on something less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, period. It means that you're trusting in something that's just not worthy of your trust. You know, I tend to be kind of a pessimistic person. I prefer to call myself a realist, like most negative people do. Um, it's kind of like those, you know, the silly dreamers like to call themselves optimists, right? I can find all kinds of reasons to abandon hope right now. It's so easy. You can look at almost any scenario and think, yep, I'll just, there goes my hope. It's It's easy. All you have to do is just kind of fix your eyes on the world's problems. Put your eyes there for 30 seconds. You'll be in business. But since in Christ, I'm part of the new creation, I don't need to fixate on all that's wrong with the old creation. In fact, I shouldn't even be that surprised. That's one of the things that baffles me so much about Christians sometimes right now is that we're looking at what's been broken, is broke, and it's going to stay broken until he comes back. And we act like it shouldn't be that way. I even want to ask you about like, what are your end times views? Do you believe like there's going to be a great tribulation before Jesus comes back? What do you think that's going to look like? You know, it's, it's going to get worse. So some, maybe that's what we're seeing right now. And maybe rather than get upset about it or weirded out about it, maybe think maybe this means Jesus is closer to coming back right now. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. The point is that Jesus went before us and he blazed this trail for us to follow. He's there. That's where we're going. And he promised his followers that he was going to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we will be also a new heaven and a new earth. 
and he's coming again to take us there, that's something to focus on. That's something to fixate on. That. Because it's real. The resurrection proved that everything Jesus said was true, is true, and will be true. So we can count on that. And that means we can fully rest our hope on him today, tomorrow, and forever. That's solid ground, brothers and sisters. That's something worth standing on. When I fix my eyes upon that reality, I'm good. When I take my eyes off of that reality, <laughs> remember Peter when he tried to walk on the water? That's what I, that's what it sort of reminds me of. You know, while he was fixated on Jesus, what did it feel like under his feet? Solid ground, right? What happened when he started looking at the chaos around him? Yeah, sunk like a stone. So what are you going to fixate on? <laughs> it's like, keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, the next thing that it means for us is abundant, eternal life. The resurrection is the starting point of our new life, and we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to get started. We can enjoy abundant life right here and now. Now, Jesus did say that he came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. Somehow that's been translated into like he's going to give us a life of abundance. That's not what he said, right? It didn't, it's not saying that we're going, to, we're going to have more stuff. It means that we're going to have more life. That's a good thing both in quality and quantity. We get abundant life and eternal life. Those are, those are both really good things. The key to this new life is that we make it less about us and more about him. You know, the, the Christian message is, is come and die. That's not a popular message, really. Um, less of you, more of him. Remember John the Baptist saying, you know, I, I need to decrease so that he can increase. When we live that way, there's no more abundant life that I know of than that. In fact, the Bible says that the one who tries to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for his sake, for Christ's sake, will gain it. So if we're here right now because it's all about him and his glory and his work, and we get our eyes off of ourselves and our, our stuff and, and put it on him and his stuff, changes everything. That's, that's how to get abundant life. As his followers, we have the ability to do good to live honorable and holy lives as an act of worship to him who gave his life for us. Not because we have to, because we get to. Right? He did the work. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to. Do, we just get to serve him this way. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And all of us... All of this leads to the, to the last thing that the empty tomb means for us, and that is an inex, inexpressible joy. The Easter message, um, you know, it tells the story of people running away from God and then God running after him, running after those people because he doesn't want to see them perish. That's the good news. That's the story of the Easter message. The story of the, the you know, the, this this wonderful day is that God knows you. And I mean knows you. Not like we say, like, I, I, I met. no, he knows you. And he set his sights on you. He's pursuing you. He knows everything about you and he wants you. He wants you so much that he sent his precious son to the cross so that you could become a new creation and enter his kingdom. I can't help but think of the words to the great hymn you have to kind of speak King James to understand it, but if you've been in the church long enough, you'll get it. 
And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. This is what he's done for us. If that doesn't cause you just to erupt in praise, you're you're not understanding the message. I have been forgiven for my sins, and I have been reconciled to my God. I have been accepted and adopted into the family of God. And I will be part of that family forever. I will eternally be in his presence, seated at his table in his kingdom. Me. That's like, you know, that makes no sense. But I believe that it's real because of Christ. The empty tomb tells me that I am known and loved by the God who made me. There's no nothing better than that, brothers and sisters. Nothing better than that. And I hope that is your reality today. Now, as people who have been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave and who are part of this new creation, we've been given this amazing opportunity to share what we have with those who are still trapped on the other side. You know, if you're experiencing newness of life, if you're enjoying newness of life, things like confidence, liberty, hope, abundant life, and joy, shouldn't you tell others about that? Shouldn't you spread that wealth around? to those who don't have it and who need it. Everywhere we go, we should be like kind of fresh air just wafting through the crowd. Like when a Christian walks through town, that's what I wish that it was like all the time. Ooh, that's different. What's going on here, you know? But this is something we have to purpose to do every day. The reality is this. Even though maybe you've been born into the new creation, right now you still have the option to Live and identify in the old. We, we do. So Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new self. Put on the new self. That means like when you get up and go out during the day, there are certain things you put on every day, right? Because it's, it's, right, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> it's just how it is. We need to, to do this. Put on the new self. Don't forget. Purpose to do it every day. Well, what about those who are considering this still? considering Christ and his claims and the resurrection, but still haven't made the plunge yet. I would just ask you, do you want a new start? Do you want to see the old go away and and all things become new? Jesus makes that possible through his resurrection. I love that in that story uh, of Mary at the tomb, we get glimpses of this, this idea that everything can be made new. And the first one is that she came on the first day of the week. It's like that, this idea of a new start. The second one that we get that's so cool is that who does she mistake Jesus for? A gardener. It's kind of weird, right? Until you start to think about it a little bit. Where do gardeners hang out typically? Gardens. Good job. <laughs> that's where you'll find them often. Gardens. This is what the setting is. That's why she thought he was a gardener. Right? I mean, you don't, you're not like, you know, downtown. Are you a gardener? I mean, he was just... What's the most famous garden that's ever existed? Eden. So you see this, this idea of the new creation right there. Here you have God in the garden with his followers. But it's different this time because sin and death has been dealt with. 
forever in a way that we can't break it. I, I can't tell you how much I, this means to me. I can't screw this up. Because if I could, I would. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, it could have been Britain Joy as easy as it was Adam and Eve. Sorry, hon. But it could have been. Could, I didn't mean to incriminate my wife, but it could have been, you know, insert name here. You know, we, we can blame them if you want, but we would have done the same thing. But, but in this new creation, in this new garden, with the resurrection of Christ, we can't mess this up. All we have to do is bow before him, believe and confess that he's Lord. And I hope that you will do that today if you haven't. The Bible says this about Jesus' coming kingdom. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Until that time comes, though, we can live as new creation people right here and now. His kingdom was established at the resurrection, and it's, it's alive and well right now. And we have a job to do. If we know these things, tell people, please. If there's anybody here today that um, maybe wants to know more about this, don't leave today. Come find me. And there's other people here that you can find, and we'll talk more about that. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll sing again. Father, we thank you for this message that he has risen. We thank you that, as it's already been said today, our God is alive, um, and we have every reason to place our hope in him right now because the resurrection proved that it's all true, it's all real, and it is our only hope. So, Father, I pray that uh, every one of us here today will, will recognize that you are Lord, that you are who you say that you are, and that we would willingly bow our knee right now to you and receive you as the Lord of our life, that we would forsake our sin, that we would forsake whatever is keeping us from running to you right now and receiving the salvation that you've offered us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.